You've got a lot of sausages and things that just come to their head and... And it chipped it away again! Toby Flood. God's sake! He pulled my scrub cap off and he squirted water in my face and you're not allowed to do that! Suck it off! Shut the good videos off! What a yoga! <laughs> Welcome to episode 5 of Waste High Rugby. Uh, you're here with Tom, uh, Jack and myself, Ed. We've kind of doing it remotely this week uh, due to myself being in the UK uh, and just various different I guess it's that time of year when things start to happen and people go away and all this kind of stuff so yeah we're all in different parts of uh, Europe so good to see you guys I know it's been a pretty pretty hectic weekend for all of us but I guess most importantly Jack for yourself you uh you made your season debut for Oslo Capitals this weekend how how was it it was good it was good we played uh, against Lillestrøm, so it was Oslo Capitals. They called us the Oslo, um, not Mavericks. What's the word? Mi- uh, not missionaries. <laughs> Oslo something. Where a load of group of people who um mercenaries. That was it. So they called us the Oslo mercenaries. So it was a load of boys who had never played together. There was a few from Blinden. There was a few from the Capitals. There was a few older boys from the Capitals, and there was a few guys from Porsgrunn. And uh, yeah, we played Lillestrøm, who trained together every week and uh, won the league last year. It was a good game, twenty-eight twenty-two to to Lillestrøm. I thought it was it wasn't as close as that, but they basically missed every single conversion, and we scored all ours. So it was it was a pretty close game in the end. Lots and lots of injuries, couple of couple of dust ups in the middle of it, which was fun. If you forget how brutal rugby league is, it's like having twenty meters to run at each other is is not good <laughs> who else uh, who else from uh, Blinden was playing with you it was me and Johnson Johnson came Johnson finished work five in the morning went home slept for like six hours woke up and then ran straight to the game had a cigarette put his put his kit on and then came on after with after about 30 minutes of the game and just started wrecking people. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, now there's some really good, there's some big boys in, in the, in the Capitals team. Nils is a, there's a big lad who just loves smashing people. He actually trains with Lillestrøm. So he was kind of smashing up his mates, which was fun. And then we had the old coach of Lillestrøm was on our team. And, uh, so he got in a few scuffles with, with some of the boys there. So now nah, it was a good. It was a good game. Me and two of the other boys went to the uh, Legerbacht afterwards. Yeah, I think for we'll we'll try and get a picture up on on the Instagram page of your uh, your your wounds. But what what exactly happened there? So I I basically cut the top of my ear. I said I always I always get like little cuts at the top of my ear because my ears are too big. So whenever I tackle or anything, I kind of cut it and. Um, I said before the game, I was like, yeah, I'll tape. I need to start taping my head. But it's a bit embarrassing taping your head as like a small back rather than like a big, massive second row because that's the only people you tape who tape their heads. Um, but then I thought, no, I'll, just, I'll leave it up for this one. Anyway, I went in for a tackle, came up. I didn't really feel anything. And then some well, one of the guys on my team goes, oh, mate, you're bleeding. And then I touched my ear and my hand was like covered in blood. So I had to uh, had to run off, and I got patched up by 
one of the medics who like I thought he was just going to wrap tape around my head. If you see the picture, you'll see this. I thought he was just going to clean, like, clean it out and then sort of wrap tape around my head. And he, let's say he went a bit overboard and he was like putting tape down the back of my neck, like on my face, all around my head. It looked like I'd cut a massive gash out of my face or like my ear had been chopped off or something. It was like a bit overkill. Um, so that happened to me, but then we had a few of the other guys Isaac, the captain, got a big gash cut out his nose. And then one of the boys from Porstrin, um, Matt, who's this massive Aussie, uh, sort of in his 40s, he tore his bicep. So us three went to the leg duct in the, in the afternoon. And I tell you what, it takes a lot, like straight after the game. So we're all in like full kit, like we didn't change or anything. I think Isaac still had his scrum hat on when he walked into the... Uh, when he walks into the leg of Ireland. And um, it takes a lot to be the weirdest people in the waiting room, in the uh, in the emergency room. But that was us. We walked in and there was all these people just like staring at us going, what the hell is going on here? The lad from Porsche Grimm, just after about an hour, he just get, he's hard as, he was hard as shit. After about an hour, he just gave up and went and just went back to Porsche Grimm. He just went home. So he didn't even get seen. And then, yeah, me and Isa got got stitched up and then uh yeah and then i left off so that so that was fun yeah seems intense i guess <laughs> can you tell us a bit more about your role in the scuffles jack one of the scuffles started when one of their players dog tackled one of our players on his head um like spear tackled him and then the referee didn't do anything about it he just gave a penalty and we were like kicking off um so that was one of the scuffles and i was too far away from it i was like i can't Rugby is really knackering as well. So I was like, I can't be asked to run 40 metres to go get involved in a scuffle. And then the other one was the co- the guy I said was coach of Lillis from last year hit someone or something. And then there was a massive scuffle happening. And uh, it was basically every single person on both teams, apart from me, was in this scuffle. And I was like, can't be asked for this. So I just walked off the pitch to get some, to get some water. So uh, yeah, my missus was happy with that. Apparently she was searching for me in the scuffle and then she saw me walking towards her and Tom to try and get some water and she was like oh, that's my boy <laughs> pussy <laughs> she was also really happy every time you missed a tackle like the relief on her face the time someone ran past you instead of into you was just glorious she was like yes no she doesn't like but- it she's arrived at Union she doesn't like watching me play league you get a bit more well you get a bit more banged up playing league the other thing I would like to ask you about, Jack, is your tackle technique playing league because uh, all the other guys seem to be hitting really high and really hard, but someone was hitting around the ankles and like knees and waist, and it was a bit, it didn't seem like you're playing within the spirit of the game. Do you uh, care to expand a little bit about, on that well, while you were tackling so low? Basically, because if I tackled high, I would have got steamrolled. So that's the only reason I was tackling low, is just to get them on the floor. If you've got five meters to run at someone and there's a bloke right next to you who can like help you out, it's fine to hit high. But if there's a bloke who's a hundred kilos, he's running, he's running as hard as he can at you twenty meters away. She's got to get him on the floor, I think. So yeah, I do the reverse. I tackle too high in union and too low in league. So I was I was observing the waist high rule that at the weekend. So uh, the RFU Blazers would have been proud of me. 
when I've seen the rugby league player being played in Norway, like some of the guys that come over from Blinden, for example, to play for the Capitals, like they're, some of them aren't the biggest guys, right? So Lago, for example, like one of the most skillful rugby players we have, but not the biggest. He always tackles low. And then the league players who are just purely league, they get really pissed off by it. Johnson and Mike as well. And then Mike, especially, sorry, like he was going so low on them last year and they don't understand it. And they're trying to pick fights with him. And he was like, you know, in his American chilled out vibe, just like, come at me, bro. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's different. It's a different game. But we, there was quite, we were getting pinged for quite a lot of high tackles. And the especially the Aussie, the older Aussie boys who play league in, in Australia were not happy about the how the how the refereeing of the tackle was was happening we didn't think they were high and i was like some of them were like swinging arms to the head and the bloke next to me was like oh mate what's wrong with that what's wrong with that i was like that's pretty high <laughs> yeah the dumb tackle on the head took the took the biscuit that was uh that was pretty gross that could have been bad um but it was the yeah it was the littlest guy on the pitch i think he was trying to prove himself tom as a spectator for you were there any kind of standout moments in the game I think like the standout to rugby league is just how mental it is. Like just who invents that sport? Like how do you come up with it? Why would you ever and then why would you ever watch it and think, I'll play that? Yeah. What confuses me about rugby league? Because rugby union, like people think it's tough, but your mates can always support you and you can always sort of like just flop on the ground like me. Like if I think I'm gonna get absolutely like battered up in a tackle, I'll just sort of take a little sidestep and then flop rather than take like the full impact. But I couldn't imagine like running flat out into three massive guys, knowing that no one on my team can actually help me out until I've like hit the floor. And then they're all gonna wait for me to stand up and place the ball. I just feel like it'll take me like half an hour to get up again. I'm tackled, I'm on the floor. And then like a 15 stone bloke's just gonna run and dive on my back just to make sure. Then I'm not going to do any of that stuff where they like brush their hips to get up. I'll just like lie there for about three hours, like relax it. I would need the break. The kickoff's the worst when you kick it off because you got your big boy on the try line. So they kick it off to you, you catch it, and the guy on the try line's already running and you give him the ball. So he's got about 40 meters to run, this, run at the other team. And then they just fly into each other. It's amazing. I mean, I wouldn't play. I wouldn't play in the pack in rugby, but playing halfback was all right. That was all right. Yeah, you did a couple of nice inside balls, like one memorable one to Johnson. As a nice little pass, you slipped him on the inside. Yeah, did a few, did a few playmaker things, but yeah. But I mean, I think the the main. It was a good. It was a good game. It was played, although there was a few scuffles and stuff. It was it was played in the spirit of the game, in the spirit of rugby league, anyway. Okay, Jack, what's the spirit of rugby league? What is the spirit of rugby league? Describe in like a few sentences what you believe the spirit of rugby league is. The spirit of rugby league is just running as hard as you can into another man for 80 minutes and then stopping short of like having a massive punch up. That's the spirit of rugby league. And I think it works well. The other thing I noticed about rugby league, which is a lot more fun than rugby union, is how players will carry the ball and because there's that distance between them and the other player, they'll shout at the other player, fuck off, as if a player's going to make the tackle. And a couple of the lads, is it Sonny? Sonny did it for Lillestrand. Yeah. And if he'd have shouted fuck off at me whilst running full tilt at me, 
you can bet your bottom dollar I'm getting out of there. I'm doing exactly what he says. And I'm turning around and I'm running as quick as I can to get out of that tackle. They are scary. Yeah. Sonny is, is um, he's an old, older bloke. I think he's in his 40s. Um, Aussie guy, but he is an absolute unit. And the other, I think the first time I ever played Lillestrom was last year. And everyone was telling me, watch out for this guy. Like he's, he's like, he's mental. And his, his son plays on the same team. Um, and his son's a really, really good player. And uh, yeah, one of the times I was playing, they had the ball. And I think the, the set before or something, I think I tackled his son and he knocked the ball on or something. And then um, <laughs> the, a couple of sets afterwards, they had the ball. And I ran up and Sonny got the ball and he, and he looked at me and he picked me out. And he ran, ran towards me and I got down to try and tackle him. And as soon as he gets, as soon as he goes in to hit me, he goes, get fucked. And just steamrollers me. <laughs> and just like tramples over me, like stamps on my head, everything. I just carries on running. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he's a big aggressive bloke, but he's, he's a lovely guy after, you know, after the game's done. What about that uh, try Jamal set up? Do you want to explain that? Their little kick through. Yeah, that was filthy. So he, yeah, he's playing halfback. The ball goes out to him and he skins a couple of people and then and then he's away. He's, he's running down down the pitch and then Johnson's going to catch him and he's sort of 20 metres from the sideline. Johnson's sprinting after him about 20 metres away from our line. He knows he's getting caught by Johnson. Just before Johnson smashes in, he just does a little grubber about five metres to the side, five metres forward perfectly perfectly grubbers it and one of his support players is running onto it doesn't have to break stride just picks the ball up and then and then puts it down it was like nrl football it was it was so good but yeah but i think the main the main thing about that day was um it was called the 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 pete england shield um so for people who don't know there was a a kind of legend of, of norwegian rugby um passed away recently um and we kind of held a, a sort of small ceremony and a moment of silence for him um, because he was involved with Lillestrøm and, and Oslo um, in rugby league and he was also involved in Sevens and, and rugby union. Um, and then Isaac, the, cap, the captain of, of, of the Capitals, um, sent someone in to, to read a sort of eulogy for him. So if it's okay, I'll, I'd just like to read that. If that's all right. Definitely. Yeah, they're nodding. Okay, so this is these aren't my words. Um, this is this is from Isaac. So it's um, Pete was an absolute gentleman, respected and an outstanding human being. He was a rugby league Norway foundation player, a pioneer of our sport. He was a member of the inaugural na- national squad and wore the capitals colours from the very beginning. A highly sk- skillful football player, his efforts brought him success with the capitals and Norway. Even when injuries cut short his playing career, he never shied away from responsibilities, always giving back to the sport and the club. He had many friends within our football community, even rivals were his allies. Beloved for his beautiful spirit and humble sportsmanship by both the Rugby League and Rugby Union families of Norway, you'll be dearly missed. We all love you, Pete. Very, very touching. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have the the pleasure of meeting or, or playing with him, but I think the the outpouring across social media this whole week um has been incredible actually um which just goes to show how much of a big character he was so yeah i think big big miss for 
all of rugby in Norway. It's hard to kind of move on from something like that, I guess, and, and to try and talk about, you know, other things. But I guess, you know, th- this weekend there was obviously a lot of um, a lot of rugby on. There was a lot of Champions Cup action, which uh, we'll we'll try and get onto, I guess, if, if there's time at the end. But for us, the big game this weekend, other than the league, was uh, Norway against Andorra, which was in Andorra as well. Um, for those that might not know, we... Uh, us at the podcast we actually create an event on our facebook page so also please check out our facebook page for any future events and any info we held an event at the dubliner in in the city center and um, unfortunately i wasn't able to make it but i know tom and jack you were able to get or oh, jack you weren't you weren't there in the end right or you were i made it for the second half because i was still in i was still in hospital getting patched up i think the uh the, the delay to the game probably helped you a little bit there as well uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, so we had this uh, this big event on in the Dubliner, and I believe you know about twenty five, thirty odd people turned out, which was uh, probably really good to see. So I don't know, Tom, if you could maybe, I know you were there, if you you could uh, shed some light on that. Yeah. So we um, sat down, drank beer, and watched the game. That's kind of the the light I think is worth shedding on that. Uh, and then we all kicked off when uh, they stopped stopped playing because it was hailing or something like that. And there was a big, a big, um, a big pause in action whilst uh, the referees walked around the pitch with some other blokes who I don't know what their role was because I'm not sure how many people it takes to walk around the pitch to check it's wet, but apparently it takes about 10. And they uh, walked around the pitch checking and like what had happened was it had hailed and I think it had, there must be like some moisture in the ground or some rain from earlier in the day because the pitch had sort of like in places the water had gone soaked through and they were playing on AstroTurf not AstroTurf but like 3G couldn't stress 4G pitch and I think the water had soaked through underneath so there was like bobbly areas where there was water underneath the actual 3G pitch and that gave quite a like an interesting trampoline almost effect to certain areas of the pitch but I think like if anything that makes it more comfortable to play on because if it gets back and then you land on like a, a a nice cushioning because there's a level of water underneath the actual ground. That's probably a lot of a that's a lot softer landing than on an actual 4G. But yeah, like we were at the pub, everyone was trying to work out whether the game was going to go on or not because we didn't have sound or commentary or well we had sound but we didn't have any commentary so we didn't actually know what was going to happen. So we were all basically just kicking off saying that it was playable. And it was obviously playable. <laughs> wow, sad. It happened. Uh, it happened in like the thirty-fourth minute of the game, right? So they just scored a penalty, and I think it was the score was like sixteen-six or something. And then they all just ran off the pitch, and we were there. For, well, I think it was paused for about. It, was, it must have been a good 40, 45 minutes. Was it that long? It, I think it must have been right, Tom. I, I don't know if you can remember. No, I can't remember. I didn't start my stopwatch. <laughs> Next time, I'll start my stopwatch to make sure I know and have the full details for you. Yeah, as the live reporter from the Dubliner pub in Oslo. I was well disappointed there was no Andorran commentary. I thought that would have been really, really funny. I don't know why. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't been able to hear them over the bloody Riversailers or Trump. Oh, the Riversailers, yeah. <laughs> Talk about creating an atmosphere. There was like three people there and they all brought their Riversailers. Yeah. Can we talk about their kit as well? Oh, it is. Right, so if anyone from Andorra is listening, please take offence to this. It is the worst kit I've ever seen in my life. It's not the worst kit I've ever seen, but it's... Oh, for me, it is. I don't know, Tom, 
But you're, I think Tom's just speechless, to be honest. No, I just hope someone wasn't paid to design that kit. Because <laughs> that's the thing that irritates me the most about bad kits, is it's they're really not that hard to do a nice kit. It's really not that hard. But then someone is actually paid to design them, and they do such a bad job. Like some of the kits that rugby teams put out, I just think, how have, how have these... Who's, who's designed that? Who's looked at that and gone, that's, that's a really good idea? And then they've taken that to their boss, and their boss has also gone, yeah, we'll go with that. I really like that. So it's not just one person. It's like a team of people. And then in, that's, in this chain, none of them have gone, why have you put bright pink, yellow, and purple together? It's honestly not going to work. Do you want to, do you want to explain to people who haven't seen the kit what the, what the kit was? I don't think you could even explain it. It's just, I mean, it's like mismatched as well. Like, there's no, the flag of Andorra is what? Red, yellow, and blue. So it doesn't sound, yeah, doesn't sound too horrible. I've got the kit in front of me, actually. But it's like proportional to SpongeBob SquarePants, if that makes sense. The yellow. The colouring of it, it's like SpongeBob SquarePants yellow, and then it's got like a tiny bit of blue, which is like the, you know, his underpants that he wears. Yeah, so it's the kit is the shorts are blue, fine, and then it's three stripes um, in the torso: red, the yellow, and then the blue, which kind of goes from chest up. And then the yellow is on the shoulders, on the on the arms, and then red is the rest of the arms. But the colours are so vivid and bright; it's not like a normal red yellow and blue it's like someone's turned up that like i've gone on photoshop and just turned up saturation to a hundred and it's sort of almost fluorescent like it's absolutely disgusting <laughs> it's, it's like you're watching a game and hallucinating at the same time yeah it's like, it's like yeah it's like the yellow is like a high-vis jacket yellow like it's is gross i was actually watching the game with my uh i was at my sister's house and my niece who's like she's like seven or eight and she, she was like looking at the tv and she's like Ed, what are they wearing? <laughs> like, I don't know, Lely. I'm also confused. <laughs> yeah, they had some. Uh, they had some big guys, though, didn't they? Did you see that number two for Andorra? I mean, yeah, they, they had some good players. They had a pro D two lock, didn't they? Playing for them, I guess. I'm not too sure. Yeah, Richie said that on the podcast that if you yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. if you can't stop Alexi, you're not going to be able to stop a second row from pro D two. Or I didn't I didn't really notice him. I think in the it didn't it wasn't what was the score in the end? Twenty it was twenty six six, wasn't it? Twenty six six to Andorra uh, full time, yeah. It didn't feel like a twenty six six game. Um I mean I guess when the conditions do that, it's like it's who can play the conditions better, really, isn't it? Because um, it just looked it looked horrible. Like it looked absolutely horrible. No, but those are like the best games to play in because then you don't have to do anything good. As long as you're just not bad, it's fine. It's like Teo would love that because you'd have the perfect excuse not to pass. <laughs> yeah. He could just catch the ball and run it and truck it up every single time. It's, it's, it's the best conditions to play in because you've taken all the skill out of the game so then you can just have fun and just hold the ball. It's like every backstream is being told like now you're allowed to play like an open side now you don't have to do passing to other people you you've got an excuse to go for a gap that's no longer there but you just want to try it anyway it's it's that kind of like feeling so i think it would be like a game that you'd actually really 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 want to play in 
mm. as like a one-off like because a lot of times like when you're playing the backs there's always sometimes you're like oh i could tip top that gap but oh i should probably pass then whereas in this game you can be like no i'm not passing just not going to pass don't expect the ball off me i'm going to go i'm going to catch it hopefully and then i'm going to run really really hard and really really fast and i'm going to do it every single time i wouldn't have wanted to be a back three player in that game no no at all no 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 oh i would you've got an excuse for dropping it you can relax completely if you drop it you're just like oh well it's hail in my eyes what do you expect it's just you gone bar of soap don't worry about it you're like free like oh just like whack it in the air chase it catch it drop it whatever you just can blame the weather you've got an excuse you've got an excuse so you can do whatever you want and blame the weather it's like a free hit it's the best best conditions to play in it's weird though as well because like i remember when the game was uh postponed temporarily they had like on the screen they had the, the temperature on and the temperature was like 21 or 24 degrees but then hailstorm so oh that's to be that's gross yeah so humid and just yeah horrible horrible that's the most un-norwegian weather ever as well <laughs> like has, actually have any of you ever played that kind of game where it has had to be like called off or postponed halfway through due to weather or something I've played in games where they've been called off, but I've never come back on. I don't think. I've got one of my one of my greatest victories comes from weather like that. So I love it. That's why. We were on a rugby tour in France and we were playing uh I think it was like something like the South of Ch- France champions for like under sixteens and we were under fifteens at the time. And on the Friday it was at this like sports complex in north of Spain. On the Friday we watched them warm up and we were like wearing our supposedly skin-tied shirts, which always were baggy on me. I think they'd like got extra, extra large and I was playing nine and it, it looked like a dress, like it covered my shorts. So I used to wear football shorts so I wouldn't look like I wasn't wearing any shorts. <laughs> and we were and we were playing and uh, we watched them play against like their rivals from like the north of Spain. They hate each other for some reason. No idea about the politics there, but it was like Perpignan. They were Perpignan and the other team was some team and they just, they were fighting loads, but it was like 56-0 to this other team. 56-0 to Perpignan. We played the other team and I think it was close. I think we won like 12-5. So we were all like expecting to keep get battered, absolutely hammered when we played them on uh, Saturday. And then it rained and it rained and it rained all night. And when we turned up the next day, it was a bog. It was an absolute bog. But because we're English, we knew how to play in the bog. And the French, this French team just kept trying to pass it and they dropped it. And I think, I think it must be one of the games of rugby where I've like absolutely stolen it. Like, we, like it was an absolute steal. It was, we should never beat them. If we played them a hundred times, we'd lose 99 times. But because it had rained so much and we didn't pass, like we just didn't pass. Like it was just pick and go, pick and go, pick and go, pick and go, pick and go. Someone would fluff it from a pick and go and that would be it. But so we won. So I actually love that weather. That weather is the best weather to play it. Because it evens up the teams. It's just effort, which is hypocritical for me because I hate people that are just effort. Yeah, I mean, but... this, is the ta- this is the bloke who's like talent, ev- talent, talent, talent. And you love playing in wet conditions where it negates all the talent. <laughs> yeah, but because talent's a pressure, Jack. Talent's a pressure. So like you take the pressure off when you don't have to be talented. Like when you when you always have to be talented, it's like it, it, it weighs on your shoulders. But once you take the ta- talent away, you can just be free and just do all the other mugs still on the pitch and run into rocks and hit things and run it straight. You know, it's great. It's great fun. You're a hip. What, you, what, what you've just said there, though, is exactly how Andorra played on the weekend. They just kept the ball themselves, crashed it up, and then every now and then they'll put in a kick behind and wait for mistakes to happen. And they kind of just edged out the game for a long time. 
using that. And then, yeah, they had a bit of luck. I mean, if you sort of, do you remember that try they scored where it was like the perfect chip over the top and the guy just caught it mid-flow and then ran in under the sticks? Yeah. I thought the Andorra halfbacks kind of played the conditions a bit. Yeah. A bit. They played the conditions quite well. Yeah. Um, but then you can also see that they've been, uh, sorry, you could also see that they, they've been playing together for like a full season as well, right? I mean, this I think this was like their last game of the season. Um, so you can kind of see that they're a lot more gelled and yeah, yeah. You could see that they've been playing together for a while this year. What we have to do the next time is when they, when the fixtures come out, we need to move it to February in Trondheim. And then Andor, all these, all the Andorans can come over to to Trondheim in February, where they've just cleared snow off the pitch, and then uh, and then play our boys up there because um, I think, yeah, talk about conditions. I think we'll p- play those conditions a bit better than them in that in that game. Well, I just want to talk about. I don't know if this is actually going to make the pod, but um, one of the blokes, one of the, I think the number one for Andorra, um, the prop, he looked like every single person. I've ever seen who works in a kebab shop like he like that was like every single per every single bloke I bought a kebab off and looked exactly like bitch. <laughs> I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know exactly who you are about. And then the might be being disrespectful, but it, it's impressive that he was still playing kind of high level rugby. And the number two looked like his best customer if he was a kebab shop. <laughs> yeah, I mean we yeah. It's a bit of a shame, I think, because I thought our pack, and then the start of the second half, our pack was absolutely dominating, and then I think we just couldn't capitalise the the kind of the, the pressure they they held out through handling errors or or whatever. I think they just made less mistakes in in those conditions. I think, which is a shame, but their kit was their kit was awful, so they should have been docked some points for that. Yeah, yeah. I think hopefully, um, I think Richie said he'll hopefully try and get some. Uh, kind of like a mini report or some of his thoughts together for us uh, in the next day or two so we can hopefully share that with uh with everyone else as well i thought the um the camera setup and stuff out, out there was 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 pretty good i mean not with there was quite a lot of kicking but they had like three or four camera angles i think the director was getting a bit some of the transitions were a bit some of the transitions were quite questionable yeah but i mean they had a big they had like a big screen with the with the the, the score on and stuff it looked, it looked, i mean it looked decent it looks all right it looked it seemed pretty perfect not professional, but it seemed like sort of uh, they had a few different camera angles and all that kind of stuff. It seemed it seemed pretty good. It was quite an easy watch. Apart what I want to what I want to know is because uh, in the break when uh, they were checking out the pitch to make sure it was playable because there was some water on it, um, Richie came onto the pitch as well and he was wearing shorts and like a tracksuit top, and I was wondering. I was thinking, I wonder if he's like a football coach on the sideline going wild like Guardiola or Mourinho. Is that his coaching style? Or is he, is he, has he come down from the stands and he's been sitting behind a laptop? <laughs> yeah. With the earpiece, the Eddie Jones one. Yeah, I was just curious. I was like, what, what do you do? Because I think I would go and I'd go full on like, what was that manager, the one who used to play? I think he managed Billa for a while. Oh. Martin O'Neill. I think I'd go full on Martin O'Neill with like the baggy joggers tucked into my my football socks with like a pair oh, yeah. of football boots on and like tracksuit oh, top. You ready? You ready? You ready to come on when everyone else? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I'm ready to come on. Save the game. If there's a problem, I can save the game. I can jump on, and I'd definitely be on the sideline. I actually think rugby is missing a massive thing here because imagine if like it's a quarterfinal between Australia and Argentina in the World Cup. 
How good would it be to have Eddie Jones celebrating right in front of Michael Checker's face after a try, and then Checker squaring up to him, and they're like going fisticuffs on the sideline. But when they're in the box, yeah, when they're in the box, like behind a laptop, it's kind of boring. It's just like a fist slap, and everyone goes wild in rugby. Like, oh, he's lost it because he's banged his head on the, banged his hand on the desk. But it'd be so much better if they're like on the sidelines. Gautier squaring up to Borthwick after that controversial decision. I know the ones where they've got like the the glass, not glass, but like the plastic in front of them in the stands and you see them and they like, they get the thing and they like throw their notes at the glass and like bang on the glass when they, uh, when they get something wrong. It's like a bloody prison, like a prison riot or something. The camera angles are always set up so well. It's like an upward shot of the coach and you see like all their fury of them like smashing the pad or whatever it is. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see... Wales, New Zealand, Warren Gatlin doing a knee slide along the sideline after a try. Just imagine the scenes. Imagine how good that would be. Running all the way up to the other side where the New Zealand fans are and knee sliding like uh, Mourinho had by audience. <laughs> yeah. Whipping so, his like, Wales blazer around the top of his head as well at the same time. So the latest rumour is, right, that Rassi Erasmus will come back as spring, Springbok coach after the World Cup. So imagine, just imagine, it's the next World Cup final, New Zealand against South Africa, New Zealand win it, and then Scott Robertson, who's famous for the, the breakdancing moves, does that in front of Rassi Erasmus. Oh, mate, I'd love that. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Well, they did that before, didn't they? Just like the kind of the technical area thing where, was it, it was Leicester... Bristol, it was when Bristol were top of the league, just before they collapsed. I think it was the game before the semi-final where they went 28-0 up and then lost to Harlequins. And then they basically haven't won since then. And Pat Lamb was like, on something happened with the refing or, or some decisions or something, or with one of the subs. And Pat Lamb came down and he was like squaring up to the Leicester coaching staff who were all down there as well. And one of them was, one of the Leicester coaching staff was... um Brett Deacon, who's famous when he was playing for like just knocking people out. So uh, I wanted to see like a Pat Lamb Brett Deacon coach fight on the sideline. That'd have been amazing. Mate, what would happen is you'd have enforcer coaches. So you'd get like you'd I'd be like a coach, right? And then I'd hire someone to be my enforcer next to me. It's just massive. I would hire Danny Grucock straight away. <laughs> I would be like the head coach, I'd have Danny Grucock at my side and we'd just be prowling around the technical area. I'd be winding their coach up something rotten and then stepping behind Danny do Danny Grucock as soon as something kicked off. Sorry, best enforcer coach quickly, back his boat up. I think you'll take up Danny Grucock. I'd love to see it though. I'd love to see it. So Tom's coaching strategy is get get Finn Russell in, get in the balls for Finn Russell, wind the other coach up, and then hire a bodyguard basically to to not be put out when when the other coaches have had enough. That's what he goes into the interview. In the interview with they go, right, what's your coaching strategy? Right, this is my coaching strategy. I'll fetch the balls and I'll wind people up and I'll hide behind Danny Grucock. Yeah, but at this level, I'll hire Sonny from the list room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mate, I would, yeah, I'd hire him. And I'd fetch the balls for Jamal. <laughs> is that your... Is that your um, Application to be Lillestrom head coach for for next. That's my manifesto. That's my coaching manifesto. I'm going to do seminars around the world on leadership. <laughs> yeah. Dear. 
own it. Just yeah. a quick one. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just trying to think. I, I just can't get my head around the Andorra kit still, right? So, in the professional game, what's the worst kit you've seen in living memory? What what's the worst kit you've seen? It's X. It's X. Has had a had a. They used to do this thing where their European kit was like they did had a separate kit for Europe, didn't they? And do they have like a camouflage one? Or was that one of the? And I think a South African Super Rugby team might have come up. Those are that that was horrendous, like awful. There's been some really hanging kits. Ex, the Exeter, uh, yeah, Exeter had a. Oh no, it was the Bulls in South Africa that had an ammo one. Like, oh, yeah, ammo gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that one. I'd love to wear a camouflage kit. Just like no one would be able to see me, I just like hide next to the ref all game. Just like <laughs> didn't miss that tackle there. You can see it can't see me between the grass. Just like you know. There's another one which was a stab front say kit where they had like a face on it. Yeah, there was. That was years ago, I think. I think it has to, was that when Haskell was playing. I think that was Haskell days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There've been some absolutely hideous ones there. But honestly, if anyone from Andorra is listening, please just spend some of that some of that money you've got over there on on a new kit just sort the colors out like yeah that kit would be all right if you just use the colors of the flag like why is that yellow like high-vis jacket yellow just sort the colors out right tom if you were if tom if you found out you had some andorran blood right and they're like you know what we want you to come and play for us knowing that's your kit would you do it um yeah why not I can't get any uglier, so that kit would probably make me look prettier. <laughs> like people would like look at my face, and go, "Oh my god, that's actually gorgeous!" After looking at the kit, so I think like comparatively, it will work out quite nicely. To be fair, if you went out, if you went out on town with that with that with that front row, I think you'd uh, you'd do well. Yeah. Well, we wouldn't get out of the kebab shop, so I'd be there. Like. <laughs> At least you don't, at least you get free kebabs, mate. That's so that might be good. Free kebabs. I don't like I don't eat kebab. Never had a kebab. I have to have falafel. Yeah, I get the dodgy That's look of like, Can I have a falafel, please? And they look at me like, Are you kidding me? It's a joke. It's three o'clock on a Saturday morning. Like we're not we've we're out of falafels. And then they might give and then if they've got falafel, they'll have been in the fryer for about six hours, so they'll be dry. It's like freeze they're almost like freeze dried. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. Apart from falafel me, so shout out to falafel me. They've got good falafel, but they've got no kebab, so it's hard to convince ten rugby players who you're out with. Oh, let's go to falafel me, when they're all desperate for a kebab. Yeah. No. So the table, I guess. So the table now is in the group of Finland, Andorra, Denmark, Norway. Finland played three one three, fourteen points. Andorra played three one one, five points. Denmark played 2-1-1, four points. And Norway played two, lost two, zero points. So it kind of comes down to, well, not comes down to, but I think, you know, Norway against Denmark in Stavanger in uh, two weeks is, it's a very big game for Norway, I guess. Do you think it's a case of Norway just need to win a game and then they're going to keep winning? Because, like, we've watched, like, two games now, like, together, and, like, I think they've been done doing like really well in like periods of the game. Like they've like like you said, Jack, I thought they were totally dominant at the start of the second half. I was expecting them to like open up and not open up like past the ball more, but like break through and then they get the first try and then the second try would come and then 
they would take the lead. But yeah, I think so. I think as well. I mean, firstly, that that Andorra game was. I mean, the conditions were so bad there. It was kind of it's sort of lottery on it really when it's that bad and when it stops in the mid, you know at the end of the first half and then they had to come back and play five minutes and then go back off again. I thought Dave responded really well to the break. I thought they were a lot better in that five minute period at the end of the first half and then also when the second half started. Um, but yeah, I think you could tell at the end that Andorra had been playing for for longer together. Um, but yeah, no, I think so. I think I think it's just a seems like it might just be a confidence thing because you can see sort of when Andorra scored the try against the run of play you just thought I mean we were all in the pub and we were like how is you know how is how have we not scored and they've just scored like against the run of play here and it just sort of opened up a little bit of a gap that you just thought oh, god this is it's so frustrating to watch uh, but yeah I think so I think if if they get a result I think they'll get on a roll I think uh, so I think it's it's been five years I think since their last win um, so yeah, I, I think you could be right, Jack. I think a lot of it could just be that confidence issue, and if they get that first win under the belt, then um, they've got something really big to to build on. Yeah, and I thought all the new the the guys who the new caps I thought all did did really they did well, especially in the pack. I thought the pack were really good. Yep. Um, yeah. they kind of yeah, there was that sort of twenty minute period where they just dominated, and every carry they were getting over the game line, and every. You know, tackle. They were smashing the other guys back. I just thought Andorra just played the conditions better. They just made less mistakes. I think. Um, but yeah, Denmark Norway in two weeks is going to be is a really really important game. That was Richie's first game as Norway head coach. That Denmark game and Denmark battered Norway in that one. Um, so I'm sure he'll want to put in a put in a better performance in in this game that's coming up. Yeah. Right. I've got a question for you. And this is like one of my more normal rugby views. So, why don't teams have a nine-man pack? Why do you need seven backs? Because half the time backs aren't doing anything. So, but when you say nine-man pack, you mean like in a line-out or in a? Because you can't have nine in a scrum. Well, you no, mean like just, play a play a seven at twelve. Yeah, but like they they wouldn't be at twelve. They would you just have one center. So you just have an attacking line, and then you could play a formation like. Free, 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 and then with an attacking line of backs. So you just because what the blind side winger never does anything. You just bang them somewhere in defence at scrum time, but then you have like that extra number for all your rucking and all your clearing out. Especially if you're going against a bigger, more physical pack. If you somehow trained it so that you could go free, 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 that would be a massive advantage because if you, especially in like wet weather when the the ball's really not going to get past twelve that often. You've got two or three players that just stood there doing nothing. It just seems to me like we only have an eight-man pack because of the scrum. That's the only reason. Like, why, why has no one gone? Do you know what? Stuff it. We'll have. We'll just play open play with a nine-man pack. We won't bother with this rigid. We have eight forwards, and we have to fit a formation around the fact we've got eight forwards. Why don't you say actually this is the formation we think we think would work? So actually, we need nine forwards to pull it off, and then we just have like one winger. And we drop the blindside winger and just never threaten the blindside. Because defences, they'll still mark the blindside anyway. Because that's what they're told to do. So you, you don't necessarily need to put a player there. And then you just have nine forwards essentially just winning you rubber ball. It's a, it's a really interesting concept. I, I think the difficulty would be the transition between attack and defence. Uh, for me, that's where I would see the, see the problems lie. 
but it's it's a very interesting concept for sure. In a way, I was thinking sort of similar, but not exactly the same of just having nine forwards. But you've got guys. I don't understand why, say, a Ben Earl or a Sam Simmons can't play twelve. Like, I don't get why you can't have someone who can play eight and twelve. Like Adam Jones. Adam Jones does it for naught. I know it's like a different level of rugby, but you've got what does what does Jonathan Dante do that Ben Earl can't do? as a 12 he just smashes people he runs hard gets over the game line and he turns the ball over doesn't do anything else does he he's not like spraying kicks or um you know he's not like doing a marlon of like spraying passes like spraying kicks being a playmaker he's just a big massive unit at 12 he gets over the game line and rucks like a forward botia does it for is it la rochelle he can play seven and 12 i don't understand why you can't why they those skills aren't interchangeable like it it what the difference between 12 like for example geordie barrett going from 15 to 12 that for me is like a bigger difference than someone going from 8 to 12 so why yeah. Yeah, why why can't back there's this there's this thing of like you're a back you're a back and you can never be a forward you're a forward you're a forward even though the skills are like interchange lots of the skills are like interchangeable like i don't get it but this is exactly what Eddie Jones was trying to change, right? He had this whole idea of like these hybrid players. So he he always used Jack Knoll as an example of someone who could play flank and wing. And then I think you are seeing a bit more now. I just said Bottier is what seven and twelve for La Rochelle. Uh, Bastro is eight or thirteen or twelve. Um, I think it's becoming a bit more prominent. But this is exactly what Eddie Jones was kind of banging on about for two or three years. In terms, yeah, I know, but he never did it though, did he? Like Jack Knoll never played. Well, Jack Knoll never played six. Whether well, he actually, well, weirdly, he went on at seven when our flanker got yellow carded in literally the first game after he came out with these comments. Uh, so Jack played 10 minutes at seven or six. Yeah, but I mean, that's not, a, yeah. But yeah, and yeah. But no, he never fully did it, but I think he was wanting, he was trying to show that that's where the game could go. And that's his, his way of thinking, I guess. Forwards can go, you know, you can play four, six, and eight. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And then backs can like, you can have a back, like Elliot Daly plays all across the back line, but then there's no, you can't bridge the gap between backs and forwards. Like, you just can't do it. Like, people don't. And there's maybe like one or two outliers, and they're normally Islanders because they're freaks, but I just don't understand it. Like, we have, you say in England, oh yeah, you've got, you know, you've got 400 back rowers who are all like the same shape and like dynamic, but can't get an England team, and you have no 12. Like, why can't you just put Ben Earl at 12 and see how he goes? Like, I'm sure he'd be all right. I just don't get why there's such a big, there's like this big iron curtain between forwards and backs and they, people can never cross over. Just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. I think rugby is just so rigid with its positioning. And like, so they always talk about their form, the formations. Is it one three three one or is it 2 4 2 or is it three three two? It's like, but you're always constraining yourself by only using eight players for that formation. There's no reason to do that. Yeah, like in football, like you can go three five two, you can go four five one, but it's fluid. It's if he attacks, he drops back. If he attacks, he drops back, and it's a much more fluid game than rugby. Rugby seems to like make itself rigid for no reason whatsoever. So I think, like theoretically, you could play a really dominant, 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 dominant forward game, and you just have uh, a scrum half who is essentially a flanker. He doesn't need. There's no reason he always needs to pass sixty meters. 
or well, 30 meters from the base for a scrum you could put a scrum half you could put a flanker as a scrum half and then you've already now you now you've got a nine man pack then you could have a 10 and a 12 but that 10 has learned to pass from the base as well and that 12 can play as a 10. so then if you want to go wide you just flip him in so like anton dupont could be the 10 in that situation and then you've got a nine man pack and you've got anton dupont who stands out as first receiver because like most of the passes from nine aren't actually that essential all the time. He's not maxing out his passing scale for every single pass. He's only maxing out his passing scale for like occasionally. But for those occasions, then Dupont flips into nine, but you've got the ball secure because you've got a nine man pack. And you can be like much more aggressive and you can have spread wider across the pitch. Because I just, I just see like, especially at like maybe not as much in international, but at like the lower level, players are just so uninvolved. You've got, you're wasting so much of your resources because you're making certain players work really, really, really hard in the forwards. But I doubt, for example, the wingers from Norway after the game, this is not like a criticism of them. I thought they both played well. But after the game, were they tired? Could they have played another 80 minutes? I would say probably. Whereas the yeah. forwards couldn't play another 80 minutes. Yeah. Like in football, like I'm just comparing it to football. In football, like your striker, you don't, if you've got a really, really good striker and he's like a Jamie Vardy and he's just over the top, you don't want to waste his resources because you need that talent because the goal is worth so much. But all the other players, they're knackered. Yeah. Because they have to do everything. So you're sharing that load around like, I don't know, nine players because the keeper doesn't really do much either. But nine players take a huge amount of load. So that's like maybe like 85% of the team are all knackered and the striker might not be knackered if he hasn't had like any service or anything. But in rugby, a lot of the time, like when we play, like the wingers, they could play another game. They could play three games in the same day because they're not tired. They haven't done that much. You can play 10 and you barely, should barely be breaking a sweat some games. I think Finn Russell could play three games back to back because it's not that intense. But an international seven couldn't play another game. Like props are off after 40 minutes because they've got such a heavy workload that maybe a, a blindside winger, if you moved him into the pack, he could like share that workload rather than just stand and do nothing especially in attack so speaking of players who, who can play multiple positions uh this weekend it was Toulouse and Leinster and Antoine Dupont started the game at nine ended the game at 10 or actually went to 10 after I think it was well, it was really early on thoughts on the game if any of you were able to watch it Leinster good Leinster really good yep yeah, to beat a loose team like that as well. To smash them. They smashed them. They smashed them in clothes. Yeah, no. no. I didn't watch either of the games, so I'll ask you two questions about this. <laughs> well, I I only had the BBC commentary because the Wi-Fi at my sister's place was so bad I couldn't stream them. Um, so I, I saw I saw snippets of, of each game, but, you know, I actually, before the game, I had a, I had a bet on with my... With my girlfriend's dad about about this he's you know he's he's really big into his rugby and he said that it would be i think he said leinster by five or by ten but he was like it's gonna be a really close game i was like it's not i was i think i said like leinster by 20 um yeah they are they are just so good even without sexton and james lowe and a couple of others and henshaw uh, and henshaw they're crazy yeah yeah I thought Toulouse were going to do it just because I think they've got amazing. I just thought their players were better and their pack was bigger. Yeah, and they've got that huge Aussie who they won't pick for Australia, but they'll Skelton. No, 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 that's for La Rochelle. 
Oh, sorry. Another, there's another one who plays for Seville who's like the same size as him. He's going to play for France at the World Cup because the Aussies, the Aussies are spending millions of dollars on some 19-year-old kid from Leeds. Yeah. Not, it's not trying to get the two, the biggest second row the world has ever seen together with the other biggest second row the world has ever seen. Yeah, you are right. Which one is it? It's uh, Miyafu, right? Yeah, he's like 6'8 and like 140 kilos or something. Yeah, he's huge. Yeah, but no, Lens are just, they're just amazing at what they do, aren't they? Like we said before, you can you can dominate, you can like be on top for so long and then they'll just score. Like it doesn't take a lot for them to score. It, it just seems so easy for it. So you have to be playing amazingly well all the time and they have to be off for you to win. Um, but yeah, and I guess it's repeated last year's final. You know, La Rochelle battered Exeter as well. Um, yep. And it's a repeat of last year's final. And again, it's just the biggest pack in Europe versus the best coached, I guess. I know Tom was going to hate that, but it's the best coached team, the best coached and most cohesive team in Europe. Do battle again to, be, to win it, but I don't, yeah, because it's at the Aviva, I think Lens will do it. No, but this game, uh, I mean, from the clips I saw, you know, Raymond Rule, he's had like, I think two caps of South Africa or something, but for me, I remember watching him last year as well, and I think even the year before that, he's such a big game player. But he scored two yesterday. Yeah, he's crazy. And then Kerbalo, he's he's kind of come out of nowhere the past season and started smashing it again. It'd be so nice to play behind that pack though. Yeah. Like you can't you can't really get a nicer pack to play nine behind than those absolute freaks, like those mutants in front of you, just steamrolling everyone, manhandling all comers and then He's just there, just like passing it to turn all game. I mean, if you've got a pack containing Bogorit, Antonio, Skelton, Dilan, Bottier, and Aldrit, God, I'd be scared to face them. Yeah, well, absolutely huge. Some pretty good rugby being played. I do need to catch up on the full highlights later. But yeah, I, in the final, my money, my money's on Leinster. I, I can't see anyone beating them this year. What do you think, Tom? I hope, uh, I hope Lara shall win again. I'd like La Rochelle to win. I'd like them to win, but realistically, I, I can't see it happening. I think Len- Leinster, even without sex and the people, they just look so good. The thing that worries me about Leinster, the thing that worries me about Leinster is I'm scared it's going to have the Barcelona effect on uh, rugby because they are so, so, so drilled. Everyone's going to try and copy them at like an amateur level, but you just can't get that drilled in two sessions a week. Or like once a night a week so it's like kids football now where i coach like everyone tries to play like the old barcelona team but that relies on so much skill like you're not going to be able to put a random group of 11 kids together and play like that because they won't have the skill and to learn that skill you've got to be unbelievably good at football there's only like maybe 100 players in the world that could play in that system at professional level and i feel like everyone talks about leinster with like this cohesiveness and yeah, that is true. Like they are really cohesive and they have all options and strategies and stuff. But their players are incredibly skillful as well. It's not like these are average players being made better because they're playing in a really good system. Yeah, because the they are really, really good players. Like Hugo Keenan is like their best fullback in the world. He's next level compared to the other fullbacks. And that's not like like the system helps, but it's his skill in like catching the ball, running forwards, isolating the right player passing it or making the break that's his personal skill level 
and the amount of times that Leinster get tries from things like that in Ireland, it's like that. But that's still his personal skill. It's not necessarily the system can't rely on that because if I implemented that system somewhere else and I didn't have Hugo Keenan who was able to counterattack like that, it wouldn't work. People say, you know, their team is like homegrown Irish talent. And yeah, for a lot of it, it is. But some of their key players, they've found and brought them over. Like Gibson Park, I remember people were kicking off that they brought him over because it forced a young Irish scrum off to go to a different club um, because they brought this Kiwi over because they're like, yeah, we want him, blah, blah, blah. And he's, for the last two years, he's been incredible. Like, he's been amazing. He's the heartbeat of everything they do. Like, when he's not playing, Ireland and Leinster, seems like they miss him more than they miss Sexton. And I know that's probably a big thing to say, but the pace of ball and everything, you know, and the the, the threat of him is, he's brilliant. Um, but they, you know, he's not a homegrown player, like they, they brought him in. So, and they, and James Lowe and people like that, they like, they, they, they find, like Tom's saying, they find the place they want that's going to fit that cohesiveness and then makes everyone, you know, around them better. But they are individually unbelievably talented as well. That's my yeah, point. Yeah. My key point is just because they've got this system and you think you can copy it and you think the system will do the work, that's not true. Like if those same players and you put them into a different system because of their talent level, they'd still, they might not win it, but they'd still be a top four, top six team in the world playing in a different system. That's just the system they've chosen to use. But if at our level we try to copy that, we don't have the hours to do that. They're a professional team. They have unlimited access to their players. We have like one, two hours. So creating six options and then relying on your 10 to pick the right option every single time. Well, that takes an incredibly talented 10. You can't just give a, you can't give any other 10 in the world. Like there's only so few 10s in the world that you can give six options to and they'll pick the right one 60% of the time. Yeah. So full strength Leinster against a full strength Crusaders. Who would win that? Well, Crusaders aren't great this year. So Leinster. Okay. Let's say Crusaders last from last year when they won it. Leinster. I think. Reason be at. Uh, because I watch Northern Hemisphere rugby, so I think they're better than the Southern Hemisphere. <laughs> and I can't stand all the Southern Hemisphere people saying that, you know, Super Rugby so much better than all the other people, blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, that's my reasoning. It's got nothing to do with actual rugby reasons, but it's just uh, personal bias. I'd like to see it, though. I agree with Jack. I think we've got a couple of minutes left, but uh, some other really big news this weekend was obviously the Women's Six Nations. Uh, it was the last round. And it was a big Grand Slam decider at Twickenham uh, between England and France. Again, I wasn't able to see the game, but I saw the half-time score of 33-0 to England. Then I saw the full-time score of 38-33. So that is some comeback by France, but obviously falling short at the end. Still lost, though. Still lost. Still lost. I think this game, I haven't heard anything about the game. All I've heard is the crowd. That's the only thing I've heard about. It's like biggest crowd ever in a women's game, 58,000, which is a lot of people like fair enough that they've got 58,000 people in to watch, to watch women's rugby. That's, that's really good going. But yeah, I don't really know anything about the game. I think I'm kind of torn, right? I kind of think that they need to stop going on about the crowd sizes at these games for women because they're starting to get really good numbers. Like, I'm more bothered about the rugby. And you've made a really good point. Like, If you go on the BBC website right now, 
it literally the two articles that you see about it the first one is a pinch yourself moment on record breaking day and then the second one is record crowd as england seals six nations but i i just want to hear more about the rugby not the crowd size i think if i watched a game that ended 38 33 after one team being up 33 nil at half time the last thing i'd be doing is counting how many people are in the stadium i know yeah yeah it's kind of exactly disrespectful in a way to like the, yeah the it's so disrespectful like if it was like six three like a shit show yeah it like shaft it down and then yeah. it was like a terrible performance fair enough but this game sounds amazing <laughs> even going up you know pumped massive forward pack and france just throwing everything at them and just being so french if this was like the men's in the equivalent of the men's version there was a game like that it would be like on every highlight reel, like talks about loads, but no, it's you got Twickenham three corns full. That's like the that's the the newspaper headline. Like that's the headline. Twickenham three quarters full. That and that's it. It's like yeah, it seems disrespectful to the players. Yeah, yeah, it is daft. It's so daft because like now I'm because I I didn't watch it because I've got to write about flood damages, but. Now I really want to go on YouTube and watch the game because I want to see like how it all happened. But I wouldn't have if if I had to click on a headline and I don't even know what the score is, I wouldn't have known it was a good game. Like I'd have known there was fifty eight thousand six hundred and ninety two people there. Don't quote me on that, I just made that up. But yeah, like it's just daft. It's just daft. Everything about it is daft at times. But rugby has so many ways to to ruin the drama. Yeah. Like Football seems to have ways to increase the drama all the time. It's like in rugby, you have the penalty yeah. try. In football, you have a massive moment where it's a penalty and you can have unjust stuff like Suarez handballing it and then missing a penalty. But like, what do you remember? You remember those big moments. And now they want to get rid of another massive drama moment by you give the player a yellow card, then he goes off and then they'll decide whether it should be upgraded to a red. How boring is that? Yeah. The tension is finding out whether it's a red or a yellow. If you take, and then what we're going to hear, like, I'm going to watch the game and it's going to be announced over the tannoy and Danny Grucock is not coming back because he's punched someone in the head. Like, what? <laughs> and the commentators go, yeah, we've just heard that it's been upgraded to a red card. Well, tension gone. Boring. Like, they should have, like, a ticking noise when they, they should, they should put, like, a stop clock on the TMO. How exactly? He's <laughs> got 60 seconds to make his decision. And he's there scrambling to try and find the right angles and like you know she's going to get slated yeah like there's so much, so much ways you can make it more exciting without getting rid of the fact that it's a sport shouting at the french director to give him the right camera angles because he won't yeah and won't give him the right ones yeah the french director's gone oh that's a red i'm gonna have a cigarette here he's not gonna get energy <laughs> <Yeah>. off me <laughs> but, but i mean nrl they're not the nrl have golden point and that's brilliant yeah it's basically the next team to score a point wins. And they basically just like try and ban drop goals over from halfway, like constantly throughout the game. It's amazing to watch. Like it's so much fun. And it's so much yeah. drama. It's like two seasons or three seasons ago when there was that like penalty kicks between, was it Munster and Toulouse? I know. In the Champions Cup. Um, mm. That's the Cardiff had one. Yeah. It's like a penalty shootout. That was amazing. The I think there's like Martin Williams shanked the kick there and they lost and then Jordan Crane slotted his. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like, people still remember that. Yeah. 15 years. But we've got yeah, yeah. two of those moments. There's two. Yeah, yeah. It's happened twice. Football, you get four or five of them at every World Cup. 
as soon as it comes to extra time, you just des- you, like you want like maybe one team to score, another team to score in the last minute, and then you get penalties. Like you want penalties unless yes, unless it's your team playing. But like as a supporter, you want penalties. You want like, these really high drama moments, and without it being like artificially created by habit, like NFL style, or like oh we're going to do a kiss cam. We don't want that kind of entertainment. We want sporting entertainment, and we want to keep like it being a game and not becoming like a, a product which everyone just calls it as and it's like it's not a product it's a game we're not American maybe that, maybe that can be your next project is yeah, uh, yeah. how to increase the drama in, in rugby that might be a fun that uh, might be a fun pod actually if we could get some ideas on on how I think so increase the drama I like the countdown clock for the TMO to make a decision yeah yeah because I've actually worked it out now what you want is you want really 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 good rules and less than brilliant refereeing because that's how you get drama you actually want referees to make mistakes you want that injustice you want that sense of anger because that's what you talk about most is the refereeing decisions and everyone says oh we can't believe we're talking about the ref again that's the reason i'm listening to your podcast i want you to talk about the ref i want to know if you agree with me whether it was a red or a yellow whether the try should have been given or not given what's your point of view on it that's what makes it fun because it's so boring to hear Probably not so boring. It's less interesting when they go, oh, CG are amazing centers. Yeah, cool. I can see that. That's not really like a discussion point. It's like they're amazing. Yeah. The best is, send him off. Send the dirt to get off. Yeah. You want to gamble. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. That's exactly what we need. That's what, yeah. that's what people turn into. Turn in, like tune in to watch. Not not a perfect one, referee in. One, one guy who... I'm going to assume has seen a hell of a lot of drama on a rugby pitch. This Robin Tremlett from Board Plain RFC down in Bristol. He had his 1,000th career game for them uh, last month. Uh, I I think actually on April the 1st. 53 years old and 1,000 senior games for his club. That is, yeah, impressive. That's amazing. Do you reckon it's unbelievable? Do you reckon he gets in the team on merit now, or do you reckon he gets in the team because you can't you can't drop him? If he's played a thousand games, if he's played a thousand games and he's terrible, that'd be so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I just like well, if I was played against you, I'd be like, you played a thousand games. It looks like you've played one. <laughs> Mate, is this your first game? You meant to catch exactly. it. But do you know what I mean? You can't drop the guys on nine hundred and seventy games or whatever. No, to be fair to him. He, he no, you drop him on 999. <laughs> That's where you drop him. That's where you start getting your bribes in. Mate, I'm not giving you a thousand until you pay me. To be fair to him, he spent most of his career in inside centre and for four seasons in a row, he was always a top try scorer. So, all right, he's so probably pretty good. Yeah. yeah, he's probably pretty good. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. No, that's amazing. Thousand games for the same club. Uh, ridiculous. And rugby as well. Like he's in the 50s and he's still playing every week. No, I can't. I can play about six games a year, and I'm absolutely dead. Yes. No, it's. Uh, it says he's he's literally played across the entire team as well. He's gone from hook from sorry from prop all the way to fifteen. Played in every position, and yeah, his one thousandth game was on April first. Imagine if they actually turned around to him afterwards and was like, "Sorry, this year it's your nine hundred ninety nine. Games can and games been called games been called off, Robin. <laughs> yeah, and you're fired. You draws. Yeah, that is that's uh, definitely something. How long would that take in uh, for us to get to a thousand Norway? Yeah, long time. How many games do you reckon have been played in Norway? 
has there been like a thousand games played yet? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, Including all the sevens games, still probably not. Yeah. Uh, but here's another thing to think about, right? Imagine he's gone on the social after every single game. How many pints do you reckon he's drank? Yeah, like how much is he worth to this club? <laughs> he might not drink, but like just conceptually, let's say he drinks like Ed. Because Ed's probably, oh no, or you, no, because you got him at seven, Jack. So let's say Ed is a proper <laughs> socializer. He goes home like when he absolutely has to, when they're, when they're like getting all the hookers and the props to like pick him up and take him home. How many pints do you reckon he's had? Let's say he has like, I don't know, 10 pints after a game. You're the you're the economist here, Tom. What's 10 pints after a thousand games? Oh, that's quite easy, actually, because what you do when you times in by 10, you just whack a zero on the end. So on these zeros, they're on a thousand. One, two, three. So then there would be... So then if you've got four zeros and you stick one in front of those four zeros, that is a hundred thousand. <laughs> Hundred thousand, a hundred thousand. No, wait a second. It's a hundred thousand. No, it's a hundred thousand minus ninety-nine. No, ninety thousand. It's a hundred thousand minus ninety thousand. That's how many pints he's drank. Whoever's marking Tom's masters failing, failing because he can't do basic. He can't do ten times a thousand. Just done it. Just answered it in a roundabout way. So do you reckon at like a rugby clubhouse down in Bristol that the average cost of a pint would be about what, like three fifty? Not four years ago, mate. Okay, well let's mate. say today, like well let's say today like what three fifty, right? Oh don't can we make it a round number? Three quid. Say three quid. He's probably spent some people like well, for a lot of people, like a yearly wage just on booze in the club. What yeah. Thirty five thousand pounds. On booze at the club after. Jesus. You'll be selling your flat if it was in Norway. She <laughs> <Yeah>. oh. <laughs> doesn't have like lifetime status or, you know, or well, like, well, I reckon he's been drinking for free for the last 10 years. You would hope so. Yeah. No, they're not going to get rid of that much money coming in. Also, have you seen, have you seen the size of the guy in the background on the BBC sport photo? Yeah, it's massive. He is. It's massive. <laughs> Look at the belly. Look at the belly underneath him. He's not wearing enough shirt. Yeah. <laughs> He's been done dirty by the BBC on that. <laughs> Sponsored right. by Cooker Pies. We've gone way over now. But anyway, uh, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening to, to this week's episode. Um, keep an eye out on our Instagram and, and Facebook. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks all.